0: G'day, Tom here from Reformers Bookshop. We've just wrapped up season three of our Reformers Bookcast. It was a huge season with tons of great interviews. Here are some of our favorite moments. And now you're, you're known um, for your work around Nine Marks Ministries, which has sort of grown out of Capitol Hill. Now, Tom, you flatter me. I didn't think
1: Australians were given to flattery. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm
0: known. Well, I know you from your work from Nine Mike's ministry. You so. you run a bookshop.
1: <laughs> you run maybe the only reformed bookshop oh, well. in all of Australia. Oh well. So it's true, Tom. I'm known to you. That's right. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we this this <laughs> interview going well, this isn't it? You.
0: Yeah. We
1: might get there. Um, so I'm uh, told I'm a difficult interview. <laughs> maybe you didn't notice before you asked. me. <laughs> I should do more research. You I'm, should.
0: We might have to change the special guest's status. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Keep going. Okay. Um, so, uh,
2: so I just became fascinated with Spurgeon as a person who basically was self-trained.
0: Yeah.
2: Who read just all the time and had a tremendously keen mind and a vivid way of expressing himself and endlessly creative uh, and he started publishing sermons when he was 19 years old and he always said it is very hard for me to preach one sermon twice because the week i preach it it's published and so so if i (laughs) preach it again somewhere they'll say hey he's already published he's already preached that one (laughs) so it it kept him on his toes it just made him continue to produce and produce and then he had the pastor's college and well and and all these different benevolences that came out of his his church and so he just became a fascinating person for me
3: Um, I am hoping that when any men who listen to this podcast might have seen the title I really hope they don't skip this episode or skip this book Um, did you write with men in mind and, and what do you think they could take out of this book
4: yeah, I'd I'd really hope that men would read it. Um, and there are a couple of appendixes at the back sign so kind of aimed squarely squarely at men. I, I yeah, I hope men would come away with a kind of appreciation of of what it's like to be a woman. Um, and, you know, with a, a great a greater degree of empathy towards their, you know, wives, daughters, mothers, uh, sisters in Christ um and kind of better equipped to um encourage them uh, and build them up you know this is yeah this is a a big deal for a lot of women and uh yeah our brothers can really serve us well by um being being prepared to uh listen and talk about it and, and point us to jesus um And yeah, so I hope it would be (laughs) an educational experience. Um, But yeah, it's not, it's not all about periods. It is, I mean, it is about the Bible. It's the sort of, the emphasis is on the theology and I'd hope that it would be uh, interesting and enlightening uh, for whoever.
5: I mean, Jesus called a sheep for a reason, and it was not a compliment. And and it could have gone with any animal. Any animal, we got sheep. Uh, we really are good at at forgetting, and that's why we. I think our hearts really leap when we sing the hymn. You know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, so again, beholding God and who He is is our greatest need for persevering through crazy times and we live in crazy times and in light of all the other things that we need to do in these times more than anything we need to see and behold god rightly because that's how we live rightly in the times that he's put us in and i think every christian to some degree or another tom is a recovering control freak um we 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 (laughs) are learning to to through the course of our lives not be god and to rest in in his godness within himself and to know that we are his children his sons uh, his daughters and his beloved and we can actually trust him no matter what comes our way
6: wokeness as an ideology is based in race essentialism that your identity a core part of your identity is your skin color that that shapes who you are and that should shape social relations so that's a crazy part of this whole dynamic playing out around us is that this is all a bankrupt idea. Because Tom, yes, you have skin color. Yes, you have a background. Yes, you have ethnicity, layout and ethne and Greek terms in terms of scripture, New Testament. So those are valid and viable realities, but there is no sense in which we are different slices or species of humanity per our skin color. Sinful people in the past have said that is the case and that is dead wrong. Strangely, those ideas are back and Martin Luther King Jr's vision of being judged by the content of your character, not the color of your skin, has been reversed by wokeness, which is actually fomenting racism.
3: And the Bible does that, you know, the the, there's the original setting in Eden. And then there's the crisis by this curse that came into the world. And then throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, we read these series of events. And then the Bible comes to a climax in the person and work of Christ, most specifically his death, resurrection and ascension. And then the Bible resolves into the new heavens and the new earth. And you know, Cassie, I think that's where the difference comes. You were talking about like, we try to make it all about our story and we miss where we fit into the Bible story. I think this is one of the benefits of biblical theology is that when you realize that's the Bible story and because I'm joined to Christ, that story becomes my story. Then one of the significant things that means, I think, is that my life is not simply like, i become a christian and i try really hard to live for him and then when i die i go to heaven because that's not where the bible story ends the bible story ends resolved in the new heavens and the new earth and when we realize that we realize that's where my, the story of my life is going it my life actually climaxed 2000 years ago in the person and work of christ in his death resurrection and ascension and it's going to resolve into the new heavens and the new earth, and that changes everything about what i am looking forward to and what i am longing for
1: certainly for my part I, i didn't receive a lot of training so as i entered ministry i had a lot of personal questions about how am i to regard the people of god and what should i um, do for them, how how devoted should I be to them and I like think every seminary student is familiar with the, the image of a shepherd and his sheep Right. So when Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep or tend my lambs right? there, there's a, a model there that, that is helpful the sense of a caring shepherd, devoted uh, sheep that are sometimes difficult to deal with um, but beyond that as I started my own ministry, I, I did struggle to find what is a good model. And I think my, my studies and my reflections and just my personal devotions led me to 2 Corinthians, where I think the idea, some of the ideas that come across in 2 Corinthians, I found very helpful for how does a pastor actually approach and regard his congregation? You know, if you're unemployed, you should be working hard at things. You should be a fervent volunteer and and caregiver, you know, the glue for my wife, for example, earns a little bit of money teaching about uh, 10 piano lessons a week. But her work is to care for people within about a half mile radius of our house Mm -hmm. and to care for everybody in our church that she knows who, you know, who's in a time of need. And she probably works 30 hours a week without pay at these things. So she also takes care of me, which is, I certainly don't call that. Well, it's
0: like a 60 hour week job, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it's the only way I get any books done. I dedicate every book to my wife. And, and I say, this book would not be finished without my wife. It's not a joke. I mean it. People say it, but I mean it.
7: But what we see with um, the scripture. Um, and and the the way in which um, humanity is to be understood is that very basic distinction that um, God created them male and female Um, and uh, they're created in God's image and it's as male and female complementing each other that they are to exercise stewardship over God's world under God to care for the world, to care for each other and and therefore to ensure uh, not only human flourishing but the flourishing of the planet and that, that's, you know, that, that's the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the agenda and uh, that was the cultural mandate uh, given in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply uh, and to move outward into the world to bring it under and God's kind uh, rule. Um, but of course, what you see with the Tower of Babel, the exact opposite of that. So instead of being sca- uh, moving outward, they decide, no, we're not moving outward. We're going to congregate. Uh, and, and basically, we're going to call the shots. And so they build this tower to, to make a name for themselves,
8: as it were, um, in order to bring God down. It just means none of us are accidents. Um, it, that, that in itself is good news. Um, we, we may not be specimens of physical perfection um but the fact that david could say king david in the old testament could say even of his fallen imperfect body that it was fearfully and wonderfully made um it, it strikes me that is something we urgently need to be reminded of today so many people struggle with self-hatred and anxiety and all these kinds of issues um so to know that there was a good purpose to our having been physically created um, I think is foundational um, too much of our Christian theology too much of our evangelism especially seems to start in Genesis 3 and not in Genesis 1 and I think we, we really do need to recover our doctrine of creation and not least when it comes to understanding our bodies because if we just think of our bodies as vehicles for sin we'll have a very incomplete understanding of them and I think an unhealthy attitude towards them
0: and so, th- this book here, you focus in on the work of Christ. Now, uh, usually, you, you say in your introduction that usually we we look at um, what Jesus did, and we say, well, he died on the cross for our sins; that all who believe on him, um, you know, will have eternal life. Um, but you say uh, penal substitution doesn't exhaust the significance of Golgotha. Uh, the cross is not just where Christ does his priestly work of offering a sacrifice for our sins but also yeah, his pulpit and throne um hmm. and so uh, you've got a th- this idea of the threefold office what is the threefold office uh,
9: of christ oh it's certainly not original to me um picking up uh, off the, the thought of, of many who've gone before but it's really exploring what what it means that jesus is is the christ the anointed one uh, the messiah um, and as you look through the Old Testament, you see that there's really three categories of people who are anointed with, usually with oil um, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And they're the, they're the, I mean, you could expand that to a few other people, but they're, they essentially are the three main roles we see um, God at work through um, in the Old Testament. Um, and therefore, when Christ comes on the scene, at least in, incarnate, the Son of God comes on the scene, um, we see um or well, clearly he's called the messiah and he's the anointed one um and we see him picking up um, those three roles so he, christ has come as king um to conquer his enemies and our enemies to rule over us defend us he's come as priests i suspect that's what we talk about most often mm. um come as a sacrifice and to cleanse us purify us and he's uh, come as a prophet to, to reveal um, god and god's will to us um so really i suppose it's a way of fleshing out what it means for jesus to be the christ the Messiah. Um, from a sort of multi, multi-faceted angles. Um, so we, you've you've written uh, several
0: uh, Advent books, and, and your most recent one is this one here, The Dawn of Redeeming Grace, Daily Devotions for Advent. Um, now, I thought I'd start by asking you, do you like Christmas? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, would, it would be shocking if I said, no, I hate it. <laughs> Um, It'll sure make for an interesting interview, though. <laughs> you know, to to be absolutely honest, what I have really loved about Christmas um, is being a minister of the gospel at Christmas time. Okay. When I've had so many sermons to preach on the Advent theme, I haven't had time to think about all the stuff and nonsense that goes on around Christmas, and so actually. Um, you know, I have found it a really blessed season for me. And if in ministry, if any of that can kind of spill over into the lives of people who are having to deal with all that stuff, as well as doing, you know, an ordinary day's work, um, then, you know, that's a, that's an important thing to me.
0: That was season three of the Reformers Bookcast We'll have an intermittent series called From the Archives that will run into March, and then we hope you join us next year for Season 4 of the Reformers Bookcast.